This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. Friends, as we all know, life in the modern world can be pretty tough sometimes. Whether it's that overwhelmed feeling caused by the 24-hour news cycle or that exhausted keeping up with the Joneses marathon that many people feel like they're running on a daily basis, or simply trying to get by day in and day out. The good news is that there are now platforms designed to provide us with the support we need. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, is a wonderful resource that's purposely designed to be accessible and personalized to your exact specifications. With the click of a button, you can sign up and be matched with a professional of the highest standards, a specialist that can be an unbiased support system throughout your week and beyond. And BetterHelp goes out of its way to ensure that your needs are met. If the professional you're matched up with isn't working out, BetterHelp will work tirelessly to match you up with someone who will. Here at 20-Sided Gamified, we fully and readily support our listeners' goals of living healthy, fulfilling lives filled with laughter, fun, gaming, and stories to pass on from generation to generation. We are proud to have a partnership with BetterHelp and we hope you'll look into this wonderful opportunity and resource at a time where we all may need a little boost. Signing up for BetterHelp has never been easier. Go to betterhelp.com slash 20sidedgamified to learn more and sign up at a 10% discount for your first month. You can also gain access to BetterHelp through the link provided in our show notes. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Hello there. This is Jared here from the 20-Sided Gamified podcast. Even though I always feel a little silly saying that because you're here already, right? So you kind of know what you're know what you're about to get into. I've been excited about this interview that I'm going to be conducting today, and I've been excited about it for quite a while now. Um, I'm going to do a more formal introduction of the guest in a moment, but this is a this is a fellow that I met. Uh, really, I should say Kelly and I met at PAX. Um, a number of, well, I guess it would be a number of weeks ago, given when I'm recording this. Super cool guy, amazing company. And because I have no Kelly today, you know, Kelly, unfortunately, is so much sure he's at work right now. And I'm recording this when I'm, I, I'm done with my teaching day. So, all right. So true story. So the kind of miniatures that we're going to talk about today in part... I, I almost like to describe them because I'm a musician. And when I think of like boutique gear... I think about gear and pedals and guitars that are super, almost delicate, almost super individualistic, I guess you could sort of call them. And these are not usually run-of-the-mill guitar pedals. Like you're going to a store in Brooklyn or something and you're, you're really going there to find something kind of unique and rare. Creature Caster, which is a company um, that I'm really fond of, in particular over the last like month or so since I met Taylor Holloway at PAX, it, it does remind me a little bit of my own past in wargaming. So I want to mention a company, right? So this is a really long time ago. Back in 2009, 
when I used to play 40K. Um, you know, GW back in the day, you know, they would put a codex out, but they wouldn't re really release all the miniatures. So a lot of times you would have to go and find proxies for stuff. And that's when I ran into a company like Ultra Forge Miniatures, right? Which old school, like, you know, resin models. And at the time they were so cutting edge. And don't get me wrong. And you know, when I went back today in getting ready for this interview, when I went back today and looked at some of those old like plague demons that I had bought from this company, they still looked cool. But let me tell you, and and again, um, I say this almost every episode. I'm very particular about who I bring onto the show. If you go to Creature Caster's website, I mean, and and I can say this in having seen the models in person, the level of detail and precision on these models, like they almost look like they're alive and they're gonna like <laughs> they're almost gonna fly at your face, like as you're thinking about, you know, making your purchase. So yeah, I'm I'm very, very excited to hear about this company today and a couple of other little things too. By the way, you know, if you're a little squeamish or you don't like adult conversation, this might not be the episode for you. Um, and what I mean by that is obviously I want you to listen, but um, you know, we're gonna uh, be talking about a couple of things that sort of came up, you know, back when we were at PAX together and we had a conversation about almost like what's worse, nudity on a model or ultra violence, you know, um, that's going to be a topic that comes up today, probably towards the end of the episode. So if you're a little squeamish, I don't know, it's going to be an adult conversation. So with all of that in mind, Taylor Holloway, Creature Caster. Hello, sir. Hey, nice to, nice to finally be here, man. Yeah, man. Was it a, was that too long winded? I hope it wasn't. No, no, no. It was great. That was great. <laughs> gotcha. So Taylor, <laughs> I, I really appreciate uh really appreciate the fact that you, you know, you wanted to come on the show and talk a little bit a little bit about your stuff. So I don't know, maybe the simplest, simplest, simplest place to start would be um could you explain to the audience um and I know that you're one of the owners, right? What's your company all about? I'm the, I'm the business development officer. So okay, got uh, it. The two owners are um Peter and Simon. Uh, okay. This, and uh, operations officer. I was brought on uh, a few years ago to handle the business development aspects. Okay. Of the company. Um, gotcha. I, have, I have a history of uh, business development in the mining industry and um, various other industries uh, for the past 20 years. And they gotcha. felt that my um, skill set could benefit the company. So, um, yeah, so I'm the, as I mentioned, I'm the business development officer. But uh, sorry, what was your question? Oh, no, no. I Just like if you could give our audience a sense of like, where where did this company come from? You know, like what what is sort of its um almost like origins, I guess you could say, to whatever extent you know you'd be cool talking about. Yeah, we're a business. So uh, what we um we started about seven years ago, um, okay. under different ownership. So the new owners uh, they've had possession of the business for I believe um five years. I think it may have been a bit longer. It may have been nine years. I think the business has been around, and they took possession maybe seven years ago something along those lines. But we're a boutique miniature manufacturer uh, out of uh, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, I'm not out of British Columbia. I'm out of um, Ontario. But uh, the rest of the team is all the way on the other side of the country. But we, yeah, uh, I was, by the way, I was wondering about that because at first I was like, I hope we know, we we both are on the same page about the time. So Ontario is basically <laughs> in our same same yeah, uh, so time zone. So <laughs> I'm not so far away from you. The other guys, yeah, you're about, not. They're about 3,500 kilometers away from me. So the only time I get to see them is at events. Okay, gotcha. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we originally 
uh, started our company with the idea of filling in a lot of niches that um, popular games didn't uh, didn't fill, right? As you mentioned, so you know we have our range of models that uh, were largely um, inspired by a lot of the old school um, uh, fantasy artwork of the uh, of the time. Um, but since then, we've really advanced our range. We've um, we've gotten away largely from that. Um, we still do produce models every once in a while that would be suitable proxies for other games. But uh, we have our own uh, our own tabletop game now called Judgment Eternal Champions, um, which is um, which is starting to uh, get monthly releases um, with resin models, and uh, which is really awesome resin, by the way. We're um, we've we've really uh, drilled down how uh, we produce resin. And yeah. these, like you mentioned, the details just phenomenal on these things. Uh, it's pretty yeah. astounding. And again, I don't throw that word around, right? I mean, there's really only a couple of other companies that I would, I would say, and I've been doing this a long time that that <laughs> I would say are in the same league as you. And and in fact, I even mentioned one of them when we were together. I mean. Um, even though it's so funny, now all of a sudden it, it was about to leave my head. The only co- company or game that I can think of that can rival the stuff that you're doing is like Kingdom Death. And I yeah. know we talked about that. I mean, their models are amazing as well. Phenomenal models. Yeah. Oh, ridiculous. Yeah. Have you ever played that game before? Uh, I haven't played it because it's yeah. really... I've been a big fan of Poots for a real long time. Um, yeah. Like way even before, like when I was when I was not even in the game industry. Uh, yeah. I just, I was a big fan of his stuff. I almost backed Kingdom Death Monster, the original um, yeah. Kickstarter. And I started looking at it, and it started getting real rich for my blood. Um, oh, yeah. It's and intense. It, yeah, it's and, intense. Yeah, like I started out where, you know, I was dropping 300 bucks, and I was okay with that. And then I realized if I wanted to get the full package, it was going to cost me like $1,200. And I was... Yeah, it, but, it's a lot. And there's a lot of depth to the game, like to the yes. point where if we didn't have our, like a really good friend to kind of run it for us, it's just, there's, and I'm not saying this is bad. There's just a level of detail to that game that again is like kind of unheard of, you know? It's a role-playing game. I mean, in the end, you know, it, it it's it, what he's created is a role-playing game that has a yeah. scenario system in it. Yeah, very much so. So it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not even so much of a board game as an experience, right? And yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and I mean, often from what I understand, it's a very difficult game. Uh, yeah, it is. It's not like uh, your your chances of winning aren't. It's not like uh, there's going to be a winner every time. Yeah. But, no, usually <laughs> bad things happen. <laughs> yeah, from like a game, you know, from a game standpoint, um, that's a hard sell, right? Because people usually like when they finish a game, someone wants to feel good about it. And yeah. um, Kingdom Death, I don't know if that is the feeling that everybody has at the end of a game. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's like, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up. Even though I do, obviously, I want to get back to back to your yeah, company in a yeah, second. But yeah. look, it does kind of make me think of one of my favorite role-playing games, you know, Vampire the Masquerade. It's like, it usually doesn't end well. Like, you know, no, you're usually not getting along. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, I was a, I was in a world of darkness when I was in my teenage years. Uh, yeah. Teenage years. And it was... Um, yeah, I mean that's a pretty grim game too. I mean we're yeah. Creature Caster, we're all about grim as well, right? Yeah. Like even with the um, with our newly uh, set up uh, World of Reclamation, which is our uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign setting. Um, not necessarily restricted Dungeons and Dragons, but it's you know the material that's produced is for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, uh, you know people have mentioned that it is a very grim setting that has. Uh, has a lot of heavy elements in it, but it's also more importantly a very um, like 
when I design the when I design the encounters, uh, they're very uh, skewed against the players. Yeah, um, not a you know there's there there's this you know no shame in running. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. <laughs> no, old school feel to it, you know. Like, yeah, if you're gonna fight. You better be prepared for a fight, otherwise you got a book, right? No, totally. And Taylor, I, you know, again, like I, I'm just sort of curious. So, I mean, it sounds to me like you were saying that you worked in the mining industry. But it, it sounds like you have a pretty extensive background in games. I mean, is, yeah, is that I mean, fair I've, to say? I've always been a gamer. I've, uh, you know, I, it was funny. I was going through uh, some of my old, uh, old boxes in my dad's garage. And uh, I came across a role-playing game that I wrote when I was 12 years old, like a handwritten. Oh, wow. Yeah, like it was all, I had doodles in it and artwork and stuff. And I mean, I've always been in game development. I've always, you know, done role-playing games. Uh, I started painting miniatures when I was 12. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was, I was introduced actually through like the old Ralph Partha miniatures. Oh, so, yeah, uh, dude. I remember so, those. They were great. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I, I started. I'm pretty old. So yeah. <laughs> a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't realize that I'm 43. So, I mean, uh, when I started, you know, Ralph Partha was the big one, right? Games Workshop. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we were still on first or second edition. Yeah, dude, we're roughly the same age. So, yeah, so you know <laughs> we're about, contemporaries. Right? I, mean, I do know space, what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Space, save, you know, that all that stuff. Um, like I think uh, you know, I even started painting models when I was with the um, when I was uh, using the old uh, uh, what were they called tester uh, the old oh tester. my god yeah tester that, paints that's what she did right and then yes. eventually uh, Games Workshop came out with their um, with their with their paints and yep. I remember getting those for Christmas like I think when I was twelve I want to say yeah I mean that changed everything it right? did yeah for now, sure. I mean, you know, like the paints that we're using, like it's funny, like because people, uh, I teach painting classes as well. And yeah. uh, a lot of people that are picking up paints for the first time are in my class. And, you know, like the range of paints and hobby supplies that are available now versus what was available when I was first getting into the hobby is just insane. Just insane. Yeah. People ask me what kind of paints to use. Like, I mean, I use Creature Caster has, we have our own um, line of paints that we, uh, we're exclusive distributors of Cuttlefish Colors, which is a, yeah. Uh, it's an amazing paint line. Like I wasn't even, when we took this on, we weren't even looking for a paint line and I tried it and it was just so different from the other, um, from the other paint lines that are out there. Yeah. Um, I just, we had, I was, I went to Peter, the CEO and said, listen, we have to acquire this paint line. Um, there's, you know, there's no, like th these paints are amazing and it's a really well-kept secret because not a lot of people were using it at the time. Yeah. The colors are exceptionally vibrant. Oh, I, I think is probably the best way to, Describing because again, I did a little research on the company, and hmm. you also have some ridiculous painters that work for the company, too. Uh, yeah, now, yeah, I mean, work is a strong word, but yeah, no, this <laughs> is true. I mean, do paint for yeah. us, right? Um, somebody, somebody might say that what I'm doing is work right yeah. now, even though it's, I mean, not really. I get to That's talk fair. to cool people about <laughs> games, you know, but yeah, I don't see it as work. Yeah, I get what you mean, you know, yeah, I mean, there's so we we have a very we're very community oriented and we have a very yeah. strong community um of uh, of painters uh that like to paint our product uh one of the main actually one of the big drivers of our um of our hobby is the resin beast competition that we hold at adepticon every year mm -hmm. uh, which is coming up in march um and it's a um it is an exceptional event uh when it comes to painting we have twenty one thousand dollars worth of cash prizes that we oh give my up. god wow we're one of the few painting contests, I believe, out there that do cash prices still. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, so we're, because uh, we realize, you know, like, again, painting is work, right? Yeah. Uh, and we want to make sure people are rewarded when they do good work. And if we're doing a painting contest, we want to make sure that the people who are painting our models, 
um, are being paid for it. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, Cause there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they live and die on their artwork and this is, and painting models is artwork. So for the, for the competition, um, are people bringing in their own models or your models or do the yes. models get provided? How does that work? So we have, um, so no, they have to, they have like these people, they spend hundreds of hours painting their models, but, yeah. um, uh, it used to be just a creature caster event itself. So you can only use creature caster models. Um, right. but since, uh, since last year we teamed up with Parabellum, okay. uh, We've teamed up with uh, with Eldritch Foundry. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not. No, that doesn't sound familiar to um, me. Or I'm just, you know. Yeah, Eldritch Foundry, um, so they do uh, digital models for 3D printing, but they also mm -hmm. have models that are printed as well that you can buy. But the whole premise of Eldritch Foundry is you actually create your own models. So oh, you go cool. to their website, it's uh, eldritchfoundry.com, and they have, a, they have a model creator where what happens is they... Um, uh, you get to build your own model from a series of parts and that sort of thing. You can adjust them, you can repose them. Um, and then when you're done, you can either order the model printed um, or you can download a PDF or a PDF. Sorry, an SDL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew what you meant. SDL of the model and print it yourself. Uh, yeah. But um, but yeah, so it's, uh, you know, but they're, uh, it's it's really innovative with the uh, different, uh, the different, it, with the different uh, parts that you can put on the models, where you can customize it, uh, especially the posing um, yeah. and the scale, which is great. Because what I do when I do it is I'll make a model and then I'll scale it up as big as I can mm -hmm. and then download it. And then I can adjust it when I'm in uh, Chitty Box or Leechy um, to fit the, um, you know, fit the dimensions and make sure that it's, it's scaled up with the rest of the models. Yeah, printing. it's amazing. Just listening to you describe this, man, the modern world for all of its pitfalls. Oh, it's crazy. Ridiculous. Like, all the all of the things that we didn't have when we were kids, it's yeah. crazy. Uh, like I can't imagine. Um, like even the amount of choices out there with miniatures right now. Yeah, uh, you know, a good example is Warhammer just put out their old world stuff this weekend. I know, I know, um, dude. I, I know, but yeah. I'm looking at like, but I'm looking at the old Games Workshop models, and I'm like, okay, you know, like they didn't really update anything. But yeah, you know, the amount of STL producers that have stepped up this weekend and put out their own like yep. models. Or, I mean. G Games Workshop have got some real stiff competition, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know because yeah. like I'm just looking here. Like Highland. By the way, this is this is quite the rabbit hole because I oh yeah I, I do have a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not bad. No, it's not a bad thing because I don't know, man. I I have such a love. I'll say it this way: I do have a love hate thing with GW. Because yeah. I, I I don't know, man. Like there's just I I. Look, I get it. I get that they realize that they obviously want to make money. They know how many fans were sort of devastated when, you know, the original Warhammer game kind of got axed. It's just amazing to me. It's less about the company and more about people. That people more than likely sold all their armies back in the day and they're just going to buy them again, you know? I don't know, dude. I don't know how I feel about it. There's something, uh, it's almost like selling drugs, yeah. like the mentality. But ultimately, you're right, because there are a lot of other directions that you can go instead of, you know, dumping the $600 on the 1,500 points that they're going to give you in these box sets that they're they're putting out again. If for a game, which really you need about 3,000 points for, to, to have like a real yeah. game, you know what I mean? Does it sound like I'm venting, by the way? Do no, I sound I <laughs> I mean, I, you know, from a business standpoint, this is just yeah. my, clear from a business standpoint. Um, I, you know, I just, 
I don't understand how you can spend four years uh, promoting a product, like getting, like hyping a product that you're going to be producing, right? Which is the old world. I've been talking yep. about it now. And then when push comes to shove and you release it, you're releasing the old models. I know it's shame. Metal. It's shameful. Yeah, it's, it's but they're gonna sell, right? I mean, they it, will more than likely sell. I'm not sure. I have no idea whether what. Well, then I don't we. Know how this is gonna go. Well, then yeah. we will need to have a follow up podcast about this because <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I will give them credit uh, for a lot of things. I, I mean, I will say at yeah. least. At least when they release products now, as opposed to when I was playing, you know, decades and decades ago, I will say, I mean, at least they're putting all the troop types out at once. At least they're they're being a little bit better with that sort of thing. You know what I mean? So I will give them credit for yeah, that. And credit. hey, they know how to make money. Yeah, credit where it's so, due. And I mean, again, uh, you know, if I was a multi hundred million dollar company, I could, you know, I you know, I can't really say right because yeah. I don't, uh, I don't. I don't give GW business advice and GW doesn't pay me to give them advice. <laughs> right. I've never, you know, worked for GW. So I have no idea what their, what their market looks like. And maybe they, yeah. maybe there is a big market for old school metal models. Right. Well, the rumor was, I, I, and, and I'm not necessarily speaking to the, to the models they've released now, but the rumor always was that Warhammer fantasy just was not popular enough in the United States. And because not enough people were playing it, I mean, supposedly that's really why the game got axed, along with the bloat of the rules and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So whether they're going to fix that stuff or not, ru another rumor that I heard was that, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but w I guess back in the day when GW was also doing some historical rules, like they had their historical people who ended up founding basically like Warlord games, um, Warhammer, Warhammer Ancient Battle was a little bit more of a toned-down fantasy battle game. Rumor has that they're bringing a lot of those rules into the new ones to try to fix some issues. Some I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Did you play I, back I, in the I, day? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I play. I, I cut my teeth. Like I was a Warhammer Fantasy player, right? Back yeah. like until I want to say 2011 is when I finally got out of Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, um, and Warhammer 40k. I just couldn't be bothered anymore. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, dude, I could no. have a whole show just about that one topic, you know. But, but also, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily want to make all this negative, you know. Because yeah, because I I do want to ask you right, and again, this is going to sound silly, probably silly and ridiculous. But how in the name of God do you guys get that level of detail in your miniatures? Because I was not kidding. Like I can imagine them literally flying at my face. Like how how do you how are, how are you guys able to do that? Well, we have we have a very good concept art, our artist. Um, yeah. He's, a, you know, Alex Boca is a very good artist uh, and he works yeah. for us doing our concepts. Um, yeah. but we also have very, very talented sculptors. Um, we have a team of four sculptors on board. Okay. Um, they're, um, they've been with us for quite a while and, um, we, you know, we don't contract out, uh, for the most part, we, um, you know, we sculpt in house and we train our sculptors for what we want. And, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a process, but, you know, we're, you know, our sculptors, they have a certain quality that they're comfortable with putting out. And we have a certain quality that we're comfortable putting out as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so bottom line now, in terms of like the physical process, um, we have a very expensive 3D printer um, that uh, produces our masters. Right. And then right. we make there. Um, so that's how we do like physically how we do. So the detail, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about resin. Um, a lot of people think resin is very fragile and very hard to work with, and uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I actually have a, uh, 
I have a king of ecstasy model, which is one of our larger models. Um, and I had about 40 pounds, I had a shelf go, and I had about 40 pounds worth of books fall directly onto this model. Oh, God. And everyone, you know, you'd think that resin would shatter under that kind yeah. of weight. It only broke at the glue points. Gotcha. Uh, I, have, I actually have them in pieces. I can show you as proof. Right? Yeah, sure. 100%. There is no broken parts to this model that had yeah. 40 pounds fall on it. Uh, it was Good just God. a... It's where he uh, where he snapped. Very solid. I mean, again, it's such a cool model. Yeah, resin resin has a bad rap because a lot of people have produced bad resin before, but we use pure um, uncut resin. Um, yeah, so it's, it's part epoxy, um, and it's uh, or two part resin, and it's um, it's very durable. Um, you know, it's uh, I was showing people at packs, for example, like because they're like, oh my god, the you know those points are so delicate, and I'm like, not really, and I was bending them to show them that you know it has. Yeah. it's not going to snap. Yeah, I mean, it's just everything has come a really long way. Like I said, you know, I was being very genuine at the beginning of the show. You know, I mean, my I, I didn't really buy a lot of Forge World stuff back in the day. But yeah. like I was saying, that company, Ultra Forge Miniatures. Um, that was, was, that pl- was that before, Ultra Forge was before Creature Caster. So yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was really? the same. Yeah. Not I didn't realize that. Yeah, so Ultra Forge was, so um, I believe the guy's name was Jeremy. Uh, he mm-hmm. was doing Ultra Forge, and then he switched over to be Creature Caster, um, and then he did a Kickstarter, which did not go well. Right. And, um, as a result, uh, the two current owners stepped in, and they took over the company. And, oh, I had no idea. That's yeah, wild. So that was that was the that's the history of the company. And that's show. wild. Yeah, that, I used to buy those models all the time. But again, this was a really long time ago. And and like I said, I still look at those models. I don't really have many of them anymore because I got out of 40K and I used them as proxies. But um, obviously they're still cool, but it's just where we are in 2024 compared with 2010 when I bought those. I mean, it's just like night and day, you know? Yeah. So now now let me ask something. So you had mentioned that um, a lot of your miniatures now are really meant for your own sort of game systems from the, for, for, from the company. I mean, is that yeah. fair or? Yeah. I mean, we're getting into it. So judgment's been around. I think it's been released now for about a year, but we're okay. getting, we just released all the resin models for it. So we yeah. have about 40 um, resin uh, infantry, like hero size models. Yeah. That are in the game. And we're, we're moving towards that more than uh, being just uh, games workshop proxies. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Were, you know, previously. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're not going to stop producing our old models, right? Um, we have models that are very popular and people still use them yeah. um, for various reasons. Uh, but one thing we found out um, recently, well, not recently, I guess for about two years ago, was that there was a very large contingent of Dungeons & Dragons players out there that use our models Yeah, uh, for their own personal games. And so that kind of prompted, uh, I mean, I've always been on Creature Caster about getting into the Dungeons and Dragons market because it's, um, role-playing is a, it's a, you know, it's a very, um, I mean, you know, for every, for every one war gamer, there's 10 role players. Right? Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. And for every four to six role players, there's one that spends a metric ton of money, right? Buying the books, buying product, buying model. Right. Um, so just in terms of a business decision, it's not a bad idea, but also, it gives us a lot more freedom uh, in what we're going to sculpt and what we're going to do and giving our models purpose. Yeah, uh, no, totally, but- totally, totally. I get that. You know, it's funny. It's funny. I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Actually, backing up, I have this conversation more than just recently. I mean, because 
you know, for some of the nonprofit work that I do outside of my teaching job and outside of this podcast, you know, a lot of it is about getting more people into like things like historical wargaming or wargaming in general. And it's a big ask, you know. I've run games for thousands of kids at this point in my career. And you'll always get some who will buy miniatures, but it's a big ask, you know. And again, a buddy of mine sent me some photos of you know, some gaming that was happening at their local game store. And it's like, you know, there are even people that buy the miniatures but never paint them, you know? So you're right. It's almost like comparing soccer to hockey. Now, for soccer, all you need is a goal and a ball, you know, and a couple people at the game. It's like role-playing, where as long as you have a creative mind, anybody can play. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. So yeah. I agree with you completely, yeah. you know? Yeah, so you mind? yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, but yeah, so, I mean, the Dungeons & Dragons market has been really good to us. We, um... We expanded into the uh, the STL market about a year ago. We just finished our last. Um, our, we just finished our first campaign, so it's a series of right. twelve adventures um, that bring people from level three to level ten, cool. and introduces people to the um, you know to the world that we're uh, we're currently growing and producing and that sort of thing. It's so, a grim world, isn't it? <laughs> you were describing super, yeah. grim, super dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and is that your is that your brainchild, basically? Yeah, I mean, me and Peter um, largely are the uh, brainchildren behind that. Um, Peter, <laughs> is that you know, a little shame that I hear or nervousness? I mean, I'm, sometimes I I write some things and then I'm like, oh, should I've written no. that? But again, you know, we yeah. are, and I'm a I'm a big horror movie fan. Um, I'm a big horror fan, so you know, um, like I was just talking. One of my friends what was it, I, the uh, there's a movie that just came out called Where When Evil Lurks. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Argentinian film, uh, not for the faint of heart at all. Uh, yeah. But I recommended it, and he was very upset with me. Um, yeah, as I said, because he said, "What's a good horror movie?" And I said, "When Evil Lurks." And he said, "Okay, yeah. I'll watch it." And they came back, and he's like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "It's great. It's a, it is." But I mean, yeah, there's a yeah, we have a pretty grim, dark world that we've uh, we've built. Not, I mean, it's not. Uh, I wouldn't say it's as dark as like Morkborg. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I like Mork Borg. Don't get me wrong; I think it's fantastic. But it's it fall like Mork Borg is a little more nihilistic than mm-hmm. what we're doing. Like we're making we're making a fantasy adventure world that has a lot of horror in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the last adventure I just published. I mean, I just published it on Friday, so I don't know if people have even read it yet. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know a few people. I know that uh, I've had a. I know that when I was publishing it, uh, some of the editors came back and were saying. Are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, no, totally. <laughs> I mean, look, here here's what it comes down to. And I we I talked a little bit about this on actually one of your one of your peers, I guess you could say, um, at PAX. Uh I when I met you, I also met some people from Gehenna Gaming, which was like maybe, I don't know, like 10 or 12 booths o- away from where you were. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I've asked myself the same question where it's like, I, I've been running vampire games for 20 years and I'll write a scene in my brain and like, I'll stop myself at some point and be like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, you know, but I think there has to be a, a point. I mean, look, it's not like either of us are going out and killing people. It's like, you know, like you, know, you got to uh, have, a, you know, some creativity, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, and... It, it is what it is. Some people like being scared, you know? And I mean, a part of, a part of, I think, uh, have you ever played the game Darkest Dungeon? Darkest Dungeon? No, I have not. It's, What's it's it? a video, right? No, I don't really, I don't really do video games anymore. Oh, I used to when I was a kid, but. 
this, so this video game, one of the main things about this game is you're managing the stress levels of your party, right? So you're mm-hmm. making sure they have lights, you're making sure they have food, um, that, you know, they're, that they're comfortable going through the horrors that lurk underneath this dungeon or in this dungeon that they're exploring. And so a big part of, but the biggest part of that game is there's no, um, there's no save points, right? right. Um, everything that happens is legacy. So if a dude dies, one of your characters dies or goes crazy, he actually dies or goes crazy. And that's it, right? Like, you, you know, that, that character, that is that situation from there yeah. on out. Um, but a big part of that is like, yes, you're stressed and there's horror and it's, you know, a terrifying game. But once the adventure is done, there's a huge like rush of endorphins and release, right? Like, oh yeah, you know, I did it, you know, like whatever. And I feel the same way about role-playing games where when you're, when you have a party that is really stressed out and you can see the stress, right? When you're playing and, you know, they're trying to get to do whatever and, you know, they're under besie- they're being besieged by monsters or enemies and things are all fucked up. Um, afterwards, they remember that, right? It's a core memory now, right? Of They remember yes. that they remember the feeling. And I think that's a big part of why people like these kind of grim, dark, horrifying environments because, again, once it's, once you're, it's done and you're out of it, you have that uh, sort of endorphin rush, right? Yeah, After- yeah. And look, we're drawn to this stuff. I think most people are. You know, again, you know, I can relate to everything that you're saying. You know, again, having run a lot of really dark games, you know, not only do people come back and talk about some of those really horrific scenes, I think what they talk about more was whatever the dilemma was. Whatever it is that, you know, you experience it in the game. And then when the game is over, all the players are kind of talking about it and they have to mull over what the next game session is going to, you know, focus on in terms of, okay, like we have to figure out, is it going to be A, B, or C? And I don't know. I think when you're talking about a dark game, those choices, I don't know. It's not that they matter more than a cookie cutter game, but there's more consequence to them. There's yes. more levity. I, maybe, maybe that, I don't know if that's the right word. Consequences you, is a good word, right? It's yeah. a good word because... In a grimmer, darker game, right, there are more consequences, right? Yeah. Characters die, right? Um, you know, especially if the GM's doing it right. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that, you know, GM should measure their success in uh, how many character sheets they collect. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you have to be prepared if they make a bad decision to give them a bad, you know, give them a bad yeah. result. <laughs> no, totally. I, I actually, you know, it's funny, like, you know, plenty of characters have died in my games, but it's almost more fun when they don't. <laughs> it's yeah, almost well, more yeah. fun when somebody loses an arm and it's like, oh, well, you're going to have to deal with that now, you know? And that's a big part of the campaign that I've that I've developed for Creature Caster is uh, lasting consequences. There is yeah. like, there is one part where you have to make a decision on what 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 you want to give this guy to get to ferry you across a river. Yeah. <laughs> and he so, doesn't want money. <laughs> yeah, 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 I hear you. I'm afraid to ask more questions. Your eye. <laughs> your I thought you were going to say something way worse. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Um, even though, you know, it's funny, you know what I love about podcasting is you never know where it's going to go because I, hmm. I didn't know that you had this kind of background. Um, if you don't mind me asking, you know, when you're making these supplements, could you talk about your creative process? Like, how do you, how do you come to some of the stories um, and then lay them out in print? So uh, a lot of it is, uh, you know, um, we have a discussion first about what models are we producing that month because I right. need to know what what I have what what I have access to, what I don't have access to. And I mean, mm-hmm. when I'm writing an adventure, I'm not limited to what we're producing, but 
part of the value that people get um, when they subscribe to our when they subscribe to our service is they can use most of the model or all the models that they that we produce in the adventure. Um, we're we're a little different with other STL companies. We only produce about twelve models uh, mm-hmm. per month um, versus some like there's some companies out there that do like a hundred models a month, right? Um, but we do twelve models that, and it's the same process we use. Um, with our STLs as we do with our physical releases. So everything that you're getting is the same quality of release that we would release in resin, right? There's no difference between the, because we use the same sculptors, we use the same sculpting process, um, same concept, our artist, you know, everything is, everything's there. So, um, so I think that's really what sets us apart from a lot of other STL companies out there, but we're, uh, so yeah, so my process, I find out how many, what models we have, right? Um, I have a loose guideline of the campaign that we're going to be running. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year was a little, a little more run by the seat of our pants because uh, we really didn't know what we were getting into. Um, yeah. This year, I've already planned out the adventure, the adventure path, the different adventures. So I have like a, a lore Bible, right, that I'm going by. Right. And then usually what I do then afterwards is I uh, sit down, uh, start it off. I, I write each adventure actually kind of like a short story. Mm-hmm. So because I'm a writer, so I try to... Um, I try to do it like a short story first, and then I go back and I edit it to make it look like an adventure, right? Very cool. Because so, I find what what GMs struggle the most. Most GMs know how to run an adventure, right? Um, like they can, they know how to they know how to do it, right? They can improvise whatever. What they struggle with is exposition. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to get people in, trying to get people uh, into the world with their words, right? And having good dialogue is a big part yeah. of that. Because I know when you have multiple, like when you, it's very hard running a game and you have multiple NPCs and they're having a conversation between one another to make it oh, sound. Oh, dude, it's cool. so hard. So yeah, that's what I. That's a large part of what I do. Like there's yeah. one, I, I, you know, and I, and then it gets sent off to the graphic designer, and then the graphic designer lays it out and all that. But um, you know, I've had, you know, I've had the graphic designer, for example, go, "This is a really long piece of text you have," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's a conversation between two between two NPCs, and it's written like a book." Right. So that way, at least when the GM is reading that part, and it's usually like the intros and stuff that are usually pretty text heavy um, or the or the outros. Right. Um, But the intros, you know, they have dialogue between different NPCs having conversations. So I'll use things like so and so said this, then, you know, and walked, you know, rested a hand upon the rested a hand upon the table. Right. And signed. Right, like you were just saying. Don't my. I I hope it's cool if I'm stopping you. But you said uh, you you do have a background in writing. Is that kind of what? Oh, cool. So you so as like a profession or more just like something you were really interested um, in doing. I mean, I've always I went to creative writing. I went to school for creative writing. So that oh, cool. That's that's what I did. I I I originally went to art school. um, Oh, all right. I I was actually I was a curator for an art gallery or the assistant curator for an art gallery for a while. Went to art school. Uh, realize I have a hard time with artists. Yeah. <laughs> um, gotcha. Little, little too. I'm a little too type A for most artists. Uh, gotcha. so then I changed my major. I went to creative writing. I did creative writing for a while, um, and then I went to business and did business. Yeah, developy marketing. You know, Mad Men type style stuff for yeah, yeah. years, but. Um, a big part of that too was copywriting. I did a lot of copywriting for clients, uh, you know, building campaigns for them. Uh, but I've also, you know, I've, I've done a lot of writing. I used to write for a magazine called um, a regular magazine. And mm-hmm. I wrote for them, I think for eight years, I regularly did short stories for them. Very um, cool. I've, uh, 
I worked with uh, Corvus Belly. Um, so it's Infinity, the game. I worked for them for five years, uh, doing yep. edit, writing with them. Um, you know, I've done a, I've done a bunch. So yeah, my, uh, you've but yeah, done a lot. I, yeah, you've, I'm a busy guy, apparently. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I mean, busy is always good. As long as you're doing stuff that you, you know, you sort of enjoy, you know what I mean? And I think like, Again, I was never a big module guy um, in terms of uh, role-playing games. But I think like what you're describing, look, it's really hard to run a game. And I think you're right. Even for like a gamer who's really good at setting up a dungeon or even like in a more creative game, like a, like an old, uh, like, a, like I know I've been pumping this game up a lot, but like the old White Wolf games where, um, you know, the supplements were more about like information. So like, yeah, yeah. you know, you kind of had to set everything up, you know, yourself, but not everybody has that, that skill of dialogue, you know? So if you're writing very, it for people, I think it's, I think it's huge, you know? Very, very few people do. And that's, yeah. you know, that's when I get us, when I've, when I've downloaded supplements and I've used supplements, I never really had a use for them. Right. Outside of like, yeah. hey, this is the basic adventure, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's where I kind of got the idea of doing them like this, where, you know, instead of giving you information that you have in the books, right? Like, you know how to do this stuff. Why don't I just give you the tools to run a really good story? Totally. Right? And that's um, what's ultimately the most important part, right? You yes. want people to leave that game remembering what happened as if they just sat down and watched a TV show or something. At least that's my my take. It's always, to me, it's always the story. The narrative matters more than exactly. any dice 100%, 100%. roll. 100%. Yeah. And that's why I say that our like our games are designed for uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Yeah. But in the end, uh, I leave it pretty open. Uh, you can like you could easily take one of these adventures and run it in any any game system. Uh, yeah. Because I try to keep the rules to a minimum because rules rules suck. You know, like yeah. Nobody, you know what I mean? Like yeah, okay, I guess you know you can make a stealth check. You know how to do a stealth check. Right, yeah. Like a GM knows how to do that. I don't need to tell them how to do it, and the GM can decide whether a stealth check is needed or not. Right? right? No, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's a it's it's a very different way of writing modules. Um, and I mean I've done modules for other companies as well, and they're uh, the ones that I've done modules for are a little more traditional, and they want they want what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I got you. Information, and I'm like, no, I mean, like this is not what I do, right? If you're going to hire me to do something, um, you know, because I mean. I, you know, everyone has a side gig these days, right? But if yeah. you're going to do something, then, you know, like, I'm going to do it my way. I don't, you know, like, you could you could hire anybody to do it your way. <laughs> no, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you may as well, like, you know, if you're going to hire somebody, you know, you really should be hiring that person based on their skill set and what they bring yeah. to the table. If you're just going to make them do something, I mean, it's a, a little silly, you know, especially wow, a game yeah. company, you know? Well, that's but, it. I mean, so, yeah, but I mean, so, but yeah, that's how I kind of look at how to run an adventure, right? Is, uh, and I, you know, even people have said they don't play D&D, but they've read the modules and they really enjoy reading them, right? And yeah. that's a, a compliment that, you know, like, even though, um, yeah, even though that, you know, they're not playing the game, they still enjoy the story that they're reading and they yeah, enjoy totally. the they're reading. Um, now, with that being said, I've actually hired recently a few writers to actually do short stories based on the adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, so be publishing some short stories as well. Right? So it sounds like the business, I mean, it sounds like you, you guys are doing great. I mean, like uh, your company, you know, yeah, I mean, or I mean, is that too strong of a word or, uh, well, I mean, you know, the market, the market is what it is. Uh, it's, you know, like there's a lot of challenges in the game market these days is a lot of flux on what, yeah. uh, what's happening out there. There's a lot of, so there's a lot of games that come out, um, yeah. all the time, right. There's a lot of competition out there. Um, 
So you have to differentiate yourself. And I'm a big believer um, in collaborations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the you know the lone wolf dies where the pack survives. Yeah. Um, so I develop sort of a network of businesses that I can rely on and help, and we can work together to, um, you know, to stay alive. Right. Yeah. Um, small yeah, you know yeah. You know what's funny about that too is I wish more people thought that way. Like I can't tell you, and again, not meant to sound like a vent, but you'd be shocked, I think, or maybe not, given that you're a business owner. You maybe not actually. You'd be so surprised at even how difficult it is sometimes to get people to collaborate with a podcast like this, where it's almost like it almost feels like sometimes people are worried that I'm gonna get more press than them. And it it you'd be very surprised at how sometimes just people don't really want to work together. So it's relieving almost to hear about, you know, the, the sort of model that you guys have where you do want to collaborate with folks. Well, what I, I, I work know? with, I'll work with anybody. So anyone reaches out to me, my first thing is, yeah, sure. I'd love to work with you. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it has to be a mutual, we have to have a mutual benefit. Right. Um, right. But I mean, you know, like in terms of the STL market um, on a monthly basis uh, or mostly monthly basis, it depends how busy I am. But usually, um, all of our all of our subscribers, um, mm. I do model exchanges with uh, a ton of other companies. Yeah. Um, just so you know, it's extra value for our customers, and it's extra value for their customers, right? And if yeah. I get a few come to me, like there's enough. Here's the thing, right? Is the game industry itself? I believe, and this is, might be an older stat, but there's 11 billion dollars in the world that goes every year into the hobby industry, and that's just right. hobby, talking board games, models, paints. You name it, right? Right. $11 billion. That's a lot of friggin' money, man. Yes, it is. That's more than enough money for to go around. We don't yeah. need to be fighting. Game companies don't need to be fighting other game companies or trying right. to censor other game companies, right? Um, yeah. You know, like, it's a lot. Of, it's People play multiple games, right? Well, like, that's like, what I was just going to say. Well, I mean, what you know, like, gamer doesn't? The only gamers I can think of that don't, again... Games Workshop games. You know, um, it's, the, it's a lot of the Games yeah. Workshop people. Like, they, they think that there's... There's nothing else out there except for their own little game, you know. Well, I mean, so, Workshop is very good at marketing and creating a marketing bubble, right? So they're yes. like they're very good at what they do. Um, you know, they'll you know they send out a newsletter or like sometimes three times a day, right? Yeah, updates. They're very good. They do like almost weekly releases, right? And they're constantly keeping people in the you know this is what's happening in the Warhammer world, right? Like the Warhammer right. community happening, right? Like even their wording, like they call Warhammer the hobby. Yep. So again, um, it's funny. It's funny. We're talking about this. I'm plagiarizing a friend of mine who eventually we're probably going to do. Actually, maybe you should come on too. <laughs> we're going to do an episode about GW and just you know the love hate that a lot of people feel towards them. But I'm plagiarizing my friend. He <laughs> he said Warhammer. It's more. It's less about the models and it's more about selling community, like selling this thing that everybody can be a part of. That's really what it's about. And you're right. Like I, I think in what you just sort of described there, you know, it's a, it's an interesting little model that they have. You know. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're. It, it's it, it, Games Workshop again. They do kudo, like credit where it's due. Um, they do they do a great job doing what they like doing what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't, you know, and that's why, that's why we need to do, we need to have people who collaborate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, and then, and that's kind of the thing is there's, there's so many of us small, us small guys out there that are trying to make it. There's no yeah. reason why we can't team up and try to get our, all of our products out there in front of these people because these yeah. people are aware of it. 
Yeah, um, for sure. Right when you're like, Kaylee, do you want to come on a podcast? I'm like, Hell oh yeah. no, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Like, I'm hoping that people are gonna, you know, people are gonna listen and check out your website, you know, because like I said, you know, the models are quite exquisite. And by the way, on that note, I do feel like, you know, I'm just looking at the time, I do feel like people have a pretty good sense at this point of, you know, what the company does, what you make, all of that. There was one other topic that I felt compelled to talk about just because, again, um, I feel like you and I have a lot in common, you know, even though this is really only the second time meeting. And <laughs> here's a quick disclaimer, my friends that are listening. If you're a little squeamish or you don't like to talk about adult-themed topics like nudity or violence, um, you might want to bow out of the episode at this point because there's there's a question that I want to ask you, Taylor. And again... This is not a beat-up job on PAX by any stretch of the imagination. But, Taylor, you you were involved in a kind of a weird little situation with some of your models, um, you know, at the con that was that. In fact, I think whatever had occurred literally happened very shortly before Kelly and I actually came up to your booth because it was one of the first things we started talking about. Can you describe, I guess, maybe some folks were put off or offended by the adult nature of some of your miniatures? Maybe is that the most polite way to say it? Yeah, I mean, let's like... Uh, let's okay, just so cut to it. Full, what happened? Full, dis- full, disclosure, for, for, uh, full disclosure, we're Canadian, right? right. We're not... A, so there's a... And there is a different value system up here in terms of, you know, we... Things we do take a lot more seriously is violence and a lot less this seriously is nudity. Um, yeah. So we... Uh, I mean, we... Uh, we... Uh, had a, we got a booth at, we were asked to attend uh, PAX. Um, they were very familiar with our product. Uh, we were asked to attend. We right. paid a base. We spent $11,000 to get there. Um, and then we were there. We were told that our product was offensive and not family friendly and to cover it up. Uh, well, right. no, we were told that we weren't allowed to have it on display. Uh, there was a lot of pushback back and forth. Um, and uh, coming from uh, Letter Kenny Country, I use some colorful language. Uh, right. But um, the ultimate uh, situation, the ultimate resolution was that uh, we had to cover the nipples of our female models. Right. Um, so being the person that I am, I went over to the CVS across the street and grabbed some uh, star stickers and uh, right. put stars over all the nipples. And then our- I guess that was fine. Yeah, then, uh, yeah, they seemed to back off on that one. Um, they... Uh, <laughs> So <laughs> I, I, I look, I couldn't, I couldn't not talk about this because yeah. I've always been completely blown away by this, this fact, right? And again, I'm not, I'm the last person that will be talking about like the idea of censorship, like somebody shouldn't read something or watch something, but I will not lie. It does amaze me the kind, like you could have a TV show on network TV about like a serial rapist murderer who dismembers bodies and people like literally clap and applaud and almost look at a character like that as like a heroine, right? But a penis or a vagina is like the devil and should never be shown. I have never understood that. There's two shows that come to mind that actually- Yeah, go for it. Um, I'm not sure if you watched Hannibal. Oh, of course. That's partially so, kind of what I'm thinking about. Yeah, on Hannibal, Hannibal was an extremely graphic, um, horrifying show. Uh, and I, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. Again, I'm not shying away from violence. Uh, yeah. or, right? But um, the, you know, Hannibal was one of those shows that um, really pushed the label of what you can show on network television. 
And again, that was back when there was network television. So it was actually on cable and not just streaming. Right. Right. Um, And again, it won, it won Emmys, uh, it, you know, whatever, Um, you know, another one is the walking dead. Right. Yep. Um, Again, an incredibly violent show, Um, you know, but you know, they they still made sure there were no nudities or there was no nudity in the show. Right. Right. Um, And that's kind of like, it's so weird to me that, uh, we live in an age, um, of, uh, you know, where we're, we're totally okay with, uh, unnatural acts. Right. Right. And, you know, we're fine with kids seeing unnatural acts, um, because murder and, you know, you know, dissection of a corpse and, you know, all of the horrible things that we expose people to on a daily basis for entertainment, um, is fine, but a set of breasts or a penis, um, and suddenly, which is, which is natural. We all have them. Right. Yes. Like this is not this is not something, you know, like <laughs> this is not a, this isn't a new concept, right? I mean yes. everybody has one. Um, you know, one or the other. Uh, you know, and um, you know, yet for some reason that that needs to be censored and that can't be shown because that might damage our kids' brains. Yeah, uh, it's just weird to me. You know, I know and I'm a I'm a father, I have a five-year-old daughter, um, and you know, she uh, you know, she's into fart jokes and you know, <laughs> right. Like, you know, things that don't scare her, right, is nudity. Nudity doesn't yeah. scare my child. You know what does scare my child? Violence. Yeah. yeah. Right? My my kid is very impacted by violence. Yeah. And I, and I, I want to say that's probably all children, I think, are um, far more susceptible to, um, uh, far more um, shocked by acts of violence than they are seeing nudity. Right? Yeah. Yet, for some reason, we want to protect our children from nudity and not, Violence. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've heard this argument before. And now it's not as much about the nudity part. It's more about violence, right? This is what I've been told. I don't know what you think of this. Because even before we got on the air and we were talking a little bit about this, it's like, so you've got, you know, a few of your miniatures that have nipples, right? But then, you know, maybe two booths down, it's like, you know, there's a game about zombies where people are being ripped apart and that artwork is sort of there. Here's the (laughs) argument that I've been told. Right. Or people have kind of argued for. And I can tell you exactly when this happened. I was with my students, and this is a couple years ago, when the Joker came out, the the newest one, right? And people were like up in arms about how violent it was and how kids are going to, you know, see this movie and think it's cool. And, you know, they're going to do it in school, this and that. You know what I mean? And it was funny because I don't remember how long before it was, but it was like the Marvel movie with Thanos who snaps his fingers and like literally half of every living being in all the galaxy dies. And at the end of the, at the end of the movie, you can see all these characters dying. But what I was told is that, well, we know that that's not real. So it makes it basically like, okay. Whereas the Joker, it seemed like it could be happening next door, which it's like, I I don't know, man. Like to me, again, my point is, is that, Little kid walking sees your nipples and then sees well not yours but you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. sees your miniatures nipples and then a couple of you know boots down there's a corpse being ripped apart I'm sorry but like I understand that that's not real but at the same time it's pretty gross and we're talking yeah, about I, little kids so it's like I don't know it's just I, I, it's just silly with, to me like I think it's all I think it's all just you know I think the biggest issue I have with it is it's all pageantry yeah. right yeah uh, in the end nobody gives a fuck um, yeah. You know, I've never had anyone, and I've I've had our product at so many events, and yeah. it's just out there, and kids come by and they see it, and it's not a big deal. Like, I mean, are kids allowed to see the statue of David? 
Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, it's a good question, well, I, my friend. I, here's the thing, too, and I, and I had this conversation with the staff at PAX when this happened, was um, it's it's contextual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our models have nudity, right? Um, but they're not suggestive, right? There's right. no suggestive. There's nothing sexy about our models. They're demons. Um, yeah. So they're big, scary monsters with, you know, that aren't wearing clothing, mainly because they don't need to. Right. Clothing is kind of clothing is kind of a weird thing when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. Well, in context, in context, right? If you're a 30 foot tall monster, right, um, that happens to have a body of a female, and make no mistake, they had no problem with the um very suggestive naked model male models we have, right? right? Females. Um, but if you have a female body and you're 30 feet tall, it's not necessarily easy to find something to cover up, nor do yeah. you particularly care, right? Um, <laughs> right. You know, and, you know, same goes with our male models because we're not, we're, we're very egalitarian when it comes to nudity. We're not, uh, we're not, you know, we're, we showcase everything. So it's, yeah. um, it's just part of who we are, right? And we're going to do what we're going to do. And we've had this conversation plenty of times at, uh, in the office about, um, you know, having our models in stores primarily because, uh, and we're talking about American stores mainly. Yeah. America's like the U.S. is our biggest market. Um, right. and what retailers will carry models that have nudity on them, right? And yeah. uh, the answer is yes, they will because Games Workshop does it and not to uh, have, you know, like, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a big issue, mm. but you know, whether or not we want to produce like marketability versus being a boutique company. And yeah. uh, you know, when push comes to shove, we want to be who we are and not cater to um, what people necessarily want. But I mean, again, judging by the sales of our models and how in demand a lot of our models are, um, I'm willing to bet that more people want these models uh, privately. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's probably optics, right? We're over-intellectualizing this. We're having a conversation that, you know, maybe the maybe the folks that saw your miniatures weren't having, you know what I mean? Because I, I just think, I don't know, people are just really offended by nudity. And I think that's just what it comes down to. And it was just the optics of it, probably. It's pageantry, I right? I mean, again, yeah, yeah, tax yeah. also has a rule or has a thing where they can ask you to cover up if they don't like how you're dressed at your booth, right? So, yeah, I, I mean... I'm not I'm not okay with anyone telling me how to dress, but Yeah. No, totally. I totally understand, you know. Yeah. And um but I will I think you know again, this was only the first time that I ever had been to a PAX before, um where we met. Mm-hmm. I I think I and I I don't mean to put words into the mouths of the people who who ran the thing. I think where some of that stemmed from I guess and I see this on Instagram all the time and it just bothers me to no end where essentially like the good looking folks of the world, it's usually women who get put in this position, not as many men, but it's like where you clearly don't paint miniatures, but all of a sudden you're in this booth selling them. I, I think that might be where some of those rules came from because I read through yeah. that booklet and there were a lot of regulations about who could be in your booth, what they were supposed to look like. I don't know. And again, I don't necessarily know how I feel about that, but I, I, I don't know. I think that might be where it came from. From a business perspective, if I'm spending if I'm spending eleven thousand dollars to get to your to get to your event, yeah, um, and you're charging people to attend the event to buy from me, yeah, uh, I don't think they have a real leg to stand on. But yeah, you know, again, I'm coming from a different industry. I worked in the mining industry, and you know, it's uh, I've done plenty of mining trade shows, and it's uh, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Um, I. I I can't, yeah. can't justify it. Um, well, you know, yeah. like thing, I'm not going to tell someone that they can't accept money to uh, do what they want to do. 
right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's my bigger issue is um, you can't have your cake and eat it too. No, uh, totally. You know, if you're if you're accepting, you're accepting, right? Yeah. And if if you're going to say we're okay with um, we're okay, like here's the thing: is we're all about freedom of choice, right? And freedom yep. to accept money to do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, if a company wants to have booth babes and pay, and these people are okay with accepting money to be booth babes and to sell product, and it goes with both genders. I mean, there are male booth babes as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you, know, sure. uh, you know, um, it doesn't matter, right? In the end, what, like, I think the bigger issue is if you have somebody who is working for you that uh, that they deem uh, is problematic, yeah, right, um, because. I don't really believe in gatekeeping and I don't think anyone has any right to tell someone whether or not they're into, they're a geek or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think most of us are pretty offended by that idea. Right. So to say, Oh, well you have someone who's good looking behind your booth and they're selling product. Uh, they obviously aren't into it. Sure. Right. It's very offensive. Well, again, presumptuous too. <laughs> very, like, presumptuous. very, very presumptuous. It's a, it's a very offensive. Now I understand though, at the same time, PAX is coming from a video game perspective, not a, tabletop gaming perspective, right? And the video game industry, from what I understand, and again, I don't work in the video game industry, so I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does have a history of exploiting women. Oh, um, for sure, dude. So yeah. I, again, though, I'm not in the industry, so I don't know, because I, I understand the video game industry exploits everybody. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, those poor guys that are working 120 hour weeks yeah. <laughs> to get a product yeah, yeah. or something No, like for that. sure. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, ultimately, you know, but ultimately, and I don't think that the organizers of the event uh, have any business telling people how, uh, you know, or gauging who should be behind a booth and who shouldn't be behind a booth, yeah. um, how they should dress, how they shouldn't dress. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, cosplay. A lot of people dress up in certain well, that, Yeah. You know, uh, I'm mean, not going to judge anybody, right? That's, you know, it's all about acceptance and... Uh, yeah. Yeah from a good place right and that's what this hobby yeah i think it's tricky dude you know just to kind of you know cap this one ultimately is like i think what's very tricky is like on one hand you know you have a group of folks you know an organization where they're trying to make you know the space more diverse more inclusive like we want to have everybody feel like they belong and you know, they're trying to create this shroud in which nobody's ever offended, yet the vast majority of our products, many of them are about really, really grim and horrible things. <laughs> and that's really hard to balance. It's like, for example, and again, the Gehenna gaming people were telling me a little bit about this, where it's like, you know, and don't get me wrong, I do this with my own games, like where I kind of ask players in advance, like, where's your threshold for horror? But I don't know. It's very weird to me to be like, I really like vampires and I want to sit and play your game. But if there's any blood in it, I don't know if I want to play. Well, guess what? You're <laughs> playing a game about vampires. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's just very silly to me. But um, Taylor, no, I'm I, not going to... Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? I, like, I, it's I, silly. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm all... F- I, I think my takeaway here is... My takeaway is everybody and anyone who wants to be involved in the hobby industry should be allowed to be involved. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anyone that they don't belong there. Right. Um, regardless, because I don't yeah. believe. In, um, and to me, you know, there's a lot of events that do pull this off very well. Right. I'm going to use Adepticon as an example. Um, right. Is the best gaming events in the world. Um, yeah. Adepticon pulls this off phenomenally. 
right? Where everybody's accepted. There's no, uh, and there's never any drama. Everyone's always happy to be there. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, I tell everyone who, anyone who is thinking of, you know, anyone who attended events before and gaming events, you know, go to Adepticon. Uh, yeah. You'll, won't regret it. It's amazing. So are you saying I should cover uh, Adepticon this year as part of the media team and bring the podcast? Yeah, I've heard great things about it. Yeah, I, You know, like I can't speak, you know, like, I know you've seen me checking my phone. It's because Adepticon's actually messaging me because they're, gotcha. it's a media space. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, but yeah, no, I mean, Adepticon, again, I, best event, hands down. Yeah, I'm going to definitely have to look into it uh, for and, sure. And in Canada, we have a uh, Canadian GamesCon, which is, uh, it's going to be going to its second year um, in cool. In Edmonton in uh, the summer. Awesome. No, yeah, very cool. They don't have any of these. There's no drama. It's all yeah. uh, all business and a lot of fun. No, so. that's super cool, man. Well, look, tell her. I'm not gonna lie. Um, it's funny. Um, before we started, uh, before we start started this episode, I was talking about how you know a lot of times we don't really get into into anything too controversial on the first episode. It's more like talking about the company, but you we covered a lot of ground. No, but no, I have the right guy on my podcast because this is these kinds of conversations are always great. You know, so I had an absolute blast talking to you. Um, what I wanted to do just to wrap up, I mean, is there anything? So look, I'm hoping that you know, the listeners of this show are going to go out and check check you guys out online. Could you give people a sense of where they should go to check out your products or to get information about the company? Um, would yeah, you be I cool mean, kind of giving that over? Yeah, go, to, uh, go to creaturecaster.com. That's our that's our main website. Um, we also have a My Mini Factory store, uh, which is um, my... If you just go to My Mini Factory and search CreatureCaster, you'll find us pretty quick. Cool. Uh, we're on there. Um, we also have our Resin Beast, which is coming up. Uh, so that's Resin Beast. Um, I think it's resinbeast.com. Uh, yeah. But I'm resinbeast.ca, but I think it's resinbeast.com. And um, always check out our paint line, which is Cuttlefish uh, cool. Colors, right? You can check us out. That's at creaturecaster.com. But if you're a painter and you're a hobbyist, um, I can't recommend better paints. Uh, yeah, they're very cool. Like I was telling you, they're when at the event. Like, I mean, they're, they're glazing paints. They have the amazing consistency. But the most important thing is they're ultra matte. And they don't have a weird finish that a lot of awesome. ultra yeah. yeah, I'm always looking into getting new paints, so I'll definitely have to I'll have to check that out. And I guess uh, I don't know. Should I uh, should I pencil you in for the Games Workshop episode that I'm going to do at some point? Sure, man. Anytime you want to talk, you let me know. <laughs> very cool. I'll be All right. Chat. Now, absolutely. So this is great. Um, uh, I continue to love Canada. All my Canadian guests always <laughs> are fun. So. All right, everybody. So for all of our folks listening out there, I hope you I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Don't forget that if you go to uh, our Instagram page, or really anywhere that you can find this podcast. If you go to the show notes, you can find information about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Um, you can find information in there about our sort of ever burgeoning Patreon, um, you know, setup. You know, if you want to be a member of this team, of this community, um, there's information on there about how to do that. And ultimately, uh, Taylor, huge, huge thanks for uh, the fact that you wanted to come on today. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Anytime. More than all right. Happy. Awesome. All right, everybody, we're checking out. See you all later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, 
be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.